Okay. We were learning about truth. Do you remember that? No, not always. Sometimes we're learning about evil. Sometimes we're learning about love. Sometimes we're learning about fear. One of my favorites, we were learning about hatred. Remember we were learning about hatred? That was fun. I missed that. You missed the discussion about hatred? We should go back and all over. We should go all the way from the beginning. We should just start tying you from, from the beginning. Yeah, but we didn't. We started from 10. So. Yeah, you know why? It's okay. I'll be here next why, year. Why. Don't worry. Because last, before you came out, we, we finished nine. Oh, so you never started. <laughs> it would be boring if I kept teaching every new group of people the same thing over and over again, right? Oh, it's just for you. No. It's so vague, always so vague. <laughs> No, it's not just for me. No, it's also it's all online, so you can always go back and listen to the earlier stuff. Right, that's true. Okay. Um, okay. So the idea was that the the question was that a Bainani is only able to have genuine feelings of love. For Hashem during prayer. Even, even somebody who has the love all day long, it may be that they're in fact a bani because they're in a kind of a prayer-like state that's generating the love. And therefore that love is not lasting, right? If they were to stop the... Pro- I apologize. That should be on a silent thing. Now it is. If the love, if the person is not in the state of preponderance, they're not contemplating, then the love would cease. And what is the indication of truth? What is a quality of truth? Is that it is everlasting. Something is true, it must last forever. So if the love would cease without the contemplation, that means that the love lacks truth. Why is this a problem? This is a review from last week. So you're exempt. You don't have to feel bad. Everyone else can feel bad. Psychologically and theological. Oh, good. So we had, there's the psychological issue and there's the theological issue. Um, Which one would you like to explain first? Or are you just going to read off of your notes? No, I wasn't even looking at them. I'm looking down now. Well, psychologically it's a problem because it just feels, it's like a, it relationally feels less real. And that's the, the relational part of it. Right. If you have to generate feelings, then it, it makes it, it gives you the sense that the entire relationship is artificial, right? I give you the example of someone has to journal for a half hour every morning before they want to go and have coffee with their spouse. That would kind of indicate that the relationship is not such an uh, authentic one. Okay? What's the theological issue? Which is a little bit more relevant. Why is it a problem if the experience of love that the Bainini generates isn't true? Because Hashem is truth. Hashem is truth. And so, if Hashem, if, and so if Hashem is present in anything, then that thing would have a quality of truth. And if that love lacks truth, it means Hashem is not there. That means that this entire love is not really connecting to Hashem in any way, shape, or form. Hashem is absent. His presence is not in any way part of that experience. Okay? And we answer that, in fact... There, the Bainini does have truth because on their level it's considered truth. 
Right? And what was the problem with the idea of truth on your level? It's changing, and you can't change truth. Right. Right. The idea is that the idea that the reason why truth doesn't end is because something that doesn't depend on things outside of itself will always be as it is. Something which depends on things outside of itself, you change those conditions, those parameters, it will change. So the idea of adjusting the meaning of truth based on you know, any kind of characteristic at all is the opposite of truth. Right? So how, that's what kind of left off on, right? In what sense does the Bainani have truth on their level? How does that work? Yes? We answered it. Didn't you say I that? didn't want to leave you hanging from Tuesday to right. Monday, right? Because that would seem cruel. And I'm not a cruel person. I'm nice. By the way, I just finished giving a class on Shabbos about how Hashem is cruel. It was a very fascinating class. Ooh. Why is it recorded, right? What? Why is it recorded on Shabbos? It was recorded on Shabbos. There's this thing that Hashem's not like a big fan of, is like, you know, violating Shabbos. Just, I thought you were saying the class was about Shabbos. Shabbos. It was about Shabbos. No, it was, on, it was on Shabbos. On Shabbos, I gave a class. I gave a class. At, I, gave, I did two classes every Shabbos. One in Tanya, one one in Chassidus from the fifth Rebbe Rashab. And uh, we were up to section explaining, it was parenthetical, but it was a decent section explaining Hashem's cruelty. And so that was what most of the class was devoted to, was explaining Hashem's cruelty. So, given the fact that we are supposed to imitate Hashem in all our ways. So, <laughs> 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 Maybe. Maybe. Feel your feelings. So, question about the answer that you gave last week. Okay. I might not answer because oh. I was planning on developing oh, the answer. Because I just, I just threw out like, an idea so that you weren't completely like drowning in sense of like, I'm, there's no truth in my life. <laughs> Even though I said that we're only talking about emotions. <laughs> And we're talking about the emotion of, 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 of passionate love for Hashem. We weren't talking about like Torah and mitzvahs, which is obviously true. Yeah. No, so in reference to the tzaddik, I remember you saying that fragment, like, you can't have like a fragment of the tzaddik's, um, like, you can't have like levels. It's just you either fully are absorbed in godliness and therefore, sorry, I can't concentrate, guys. <laughs> but then, okay. Starting again, um, and then this, and then here you're saying that like a part of it has truth because a part of him is infused, like is um, is godliness entered into, right? It's his capacity to produce love. Mm-hmm. So, I guess my question is, how can it be a part? Okay. I don't know. Does that make sense? I stuff. think it does. Okay. I think it does. I'm going to rephrase your question, and you'll tell me if this is what you, you're asking. At which point, I will not answer it. We will go and okay. learn to and learn what we're going to learn, and hopefully in the course of that, it will get answered. Sure. And if it doesn't, and you have the presence of mind, you'll remind me. But I think what you're asking is like this, is that there are certain things that you cannot have degrees of. Right. 
Okay? And the point was that truth is not something you have degrees of. So then the question is, how can we only say part of the Bainani has truth? Which seemed to violate the idea of degrees of truth. And now you're not going to answer. And that's what you were asking? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I am intending that in the course of the class, the idea will be addressed. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. There is a method to my madness. Okay. But you're also acknowledging it is different than with the tzaddik, where you said with the tzaddik has to be all or nothing. There's no like in between. Right? About truth. Right. That's not going to change. Okay. Okay. So let's, um, we are on the right-hand column. It's the column that starts in relation. Um, and we are at the first period, which show up every so infrequently in these paragraphs, right? Wait, which page is it? It's on the second column. I mean, second. Yeah. It's on the last page. That. Yud Tess. In relation, okay, for in their case, this is the case of the, we're talking about the Bainani. Two, their love during their prayers may be termed, the lip of truth shall be established forever. Since their divine soul has the power to reawaken this kind of love constantly during its preponderance in the time of prayer day after day by means of an appropriate mental preparation, each soul according to its intrinsic quality and rank. Okay. Mm, sometimes I don't like the translator. I mean, I, I, I'm not mean it's a translator personally. I don't like the translation so much, but okay, we're going to set that aside. Okay, so where do we see the everlastingness, which is indicative of truth, in their power to um, arouse this love day after day? Okay. So what I would like to do now is to contrast the tzaddik and the benini and the rasha, which is annoying because when you contrast three things, you have to keep more in your head, right? Okay. So... What is the tzaddik have that the Bainani and the Rush are lacking is a constant experience of love. Okay. What is the Bainani have that the Russia is lacking? I'm going to throw that out to you and let you think about it for a moment. Or you can look in the text. The power to awaken the love. Okay. So the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about um, the idea of having the power to awaken the love. What does that just mean conceptually? Then I want to talk about why the Russia is lacking it and why this means that the tzaddik actually has some truth. Why the has some truth? So the Bainini has some truth, yes. Okay. Um, and then when we finish that, then we'll go back and contrast it again with the tzaddik. So, how can you tell if a student is cheating in school? Can't always. You cannot always tell. That is correct. What are some telltale signs of cheating? So, for instance, when two people get the exact same answers on a freely written test, right? we have free answers, mm-hmm. and all their answers are written, worded exactly the same, that's usually an indication of some cheating, right? Or telepathy. Yeah. 
cheating. It's cheating. <laughs> also, if you find that someone's essay, you can Google it and discover the essay has been online before. It probably indication of cheating. Right? There's lots of indications of cheating. Right? My wife is a high school teacher, by the way. Um, which is like some sort of combination between like uh, you know an educator, a therapist, and the KGB. No, we've got to figure out what people are lying to you, right? You know. Okay. No, um, I'm joking about the last one. Um, yeah, it's not a little KGB. It's a lot of KGB. <laughs> so one of the indications that someone is cheating. Now, this indication is not as. Uh, good at, it's not, it's not as reliable as like finding their essay that was published five years ago. Um, but if somebody is demonstrating a level of um, proficiency in the subject that is not to be expected, that raises suspicion. Okay. For instance, there was a in, 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 in the My Note men's program, there are different levels of chassidus. And there is a test that is used. The test is really used to evaluate newcomers to figure out which class they belong to. It's not such a good class for moving people up. It's a good test for that. But sometimes we use it also, just if like we're... So there was, there was an instance um, a few years ago where there was a student who expressed desire to move from one class to another as he was given this test because the teacher of the class he was in was really, he was, didn't think it was appropriate, but you know, often, often one of the good things a test can do is like get, put the person in their place. They realize like maybe they're not really should be moving to a higher class. Anyway, his answers were like publishable. They were that good. And so the question was like, is this really him or is he just copying off of something? because it was not to be expected. Now in that case, it turns out that those were in fact his answers. How do we determine those were his answers? That he was not copying from somebody? Yes, yeah, so I sat down and I started to ask him, just talked about the answers, and he was able to converse quite eloquently in his answers. It turns out he's extremely quiet. And so from a classroom setting, it's very hard to tell what he actually knows. Which, again, you have people like that temperamentally. Um, and because of that, it seemed out of character that he would have this level of... of, of, of proficiency in chassidus, given that his classroom interaction was at a minimal. But once, you know, talking to him one-on-one, -on -one, it became very clear that, you no, know, these are perfectly fitting. A another instance, though, um, that happened a little bit more recently, was someone also expressed desire to move up and was given the test. And they also wrote um, answers which were, which were spot-on, perfect, with some spelling mistakes, but perfect. Um, now, I happen to know this student because they're, they, they are in as many of my classes and they're quite active. So I know exactly what they know and what they don't know and based on the kinds of questions they ask and how well they understand answers. And there is no way that this person is demonstrating their own personal knowledge. And so it's very clear that they weren't the... Um, then after some investigation, I discovered that um, he had been consulting with one of the shluchim as to how to answer these questions. <laughs> Right. So there's this idea that when the result is not commensurate with the expected ability, then you suspect that something else is involved, right? Get the idea? That, so a person who's... Now, people are very rich and complex and they have many, many layers to them, but this idea holds true. That's why, for instance, if you see a rock flying through the air, the average person doesn't think, ooh, I didn't know that rocks defy gravity. They usually think, 
who threw that, <laughs> right? Because we see the phenomenon, we don't attribute it to the rock, therefore we immediately look for a cause. Right? And that's actually the idea, is that one of the ways of understanding causality is, it's not the only one, one of the ways of understanding causality is the tendency of the mind to look for an explanation because what is present is insufficient to explain. So, you know, if you have a student who's not that proficient and they're, dem- they're writing answers that are, that are, you know, show tremendous expertise, what you know of the student is not sufficient to explain the test and therefore you're looking for some outside cause, right? The rock, the nature of the rock is not sufficient to explain why the rock is flying through the air, therefore we look for who threw it. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. What is a rasha? You weren't here for this. Anyone know what a rasha is? Someone whose animal soul rules over them. That's right. Someone whose animal soul rules over them. Okay. If your animal soul rules over you, actually, you know what? I'm going to take a little bit of a detour and talk about something else that Alter discusses, and then come back to this because it'll drive the point home a little bit clearer. I apologize. Okay. Um, people sin. Not all people, but most people do sin. Yes? Um, when you realize that you've sinned, how does that make you feel? Guilty, usually. Guilty. Yeah. Guilty, bad, negative, right? Some kind of unpleasant feeling, yes? Discomfort. Okay. Where is that feeling coming from? Is that coming from the godly soul? Or is coming from the animal soul? It would seem to be the godly soul, but Rabbi Kaufman never asks questions that are that straightforward. So it must not be that that's what's happening. Um, well, what allowed a person to sin is that they didn't much care about Hashem or the disconnection from Hashem, right? Because if they did, they wouldn't have sinned, right? It's not exactly the sin, the end they is for the person's free will. So subjectively speaking, what they were doing didn't feel important. What they were doing didn't feel wrong. Okay? And the, the reason why is, as Chassidah says, because the animal soul was dominating over the godly soul, causing a person to not be sensitive to Hashem and how grave it is to be disconnected from him. Because if the person was sensitive to that, they would not be able to sin, even if the sin is pleasurable and desirable. Make sense? Okay. Between doing the sin and feeling guilty, have you all of a sudden become super sensitive to God and how bad it is to be separate from Him? No. That would probably require some kind of process to sensitize yourself, right? To come to appreciate who Hashem is and why connecting him is important. And only then, in light of that regained sensitivity, would you then feel bad about it, right? But has that happened? So, now we need an explanation because a person who, they clearly don't care, at least again, on, 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 they don't experientially feel that connecting to Hashem is really important and this connection is really bad. Because proof being, they just acted that way, right? And given that nothing in that experience that subjective experience has changed, 
we now need a cause for why they're feeling bad, right? Again, if the person has now regained a sensitivity to Hashem, they've regained what's called das, knowledge of Hashem, not intellectual knowledge, right? A sense that Hashem is real and we connect to Him is important. They've regained that. And then as a result of that, regained awareness, they feel a regret, a remorse for having sinned. That would make sense. But if they haven't done that in between step, where is this negative feeling coming from? experience of sometimes you don't know what you have until it's gone so maybe the guilt is certain like you lose any closeness you have or you feel like the pang of distance but you're saying that's not the experience that's not the no it is possible for a process to happen very quickly and very suddenly for instance let's say a person sinned and let's say the sin was a kind of sin where it's an out-of-character sin. So let's say you take your regular standard observant Jew and they sinned and the sin was they... They, let's, I'm trying to think of something that would be like really, really realistic where you could, where you could see that process happening. This is not normal. So let's use an example. Like every person, they're religiously observant, but they're not like super pious. So they watch, you know, secular movies, okay? It's like a thing that exists in the world, right? I read about it in the books once. Um, and so you got a person like that and they're watching a movie Friday afternoon, right? And let's even say this movie is not, an, you know, aside from if they're a man, there's a question of neglecting Torah study. And then on top of that, the content of the movie is probably not 100% kosher because that tends to be the case, right? Let's, but they've got, that doesn't bother them, right? They're like, you know, leave fine. They turn off the movie and they realize, and they turn off the movie that it's an hour after the sun has set. They just didn't realize that the movie would be a three-hour movie, and they thought they were going to finish right before Shabbos, and it turns out they finished an hour after Shabbos, whatever the case might be. And now they realized that they were just watching a movie on Shabbos, and they went and turned off the movie on Shabbos when they were done. That could trigger something because the, they didn't realize, like, like they have a sense, like there's a, there's a red line, and then they find themselves way on the other side of that red line. That could, they can start then reflecting on what happened. And not what happened, what they did, but how they got there. And that could be very quick and very intense. And yes, but that's not what I'm talking about, right? That's, that's, that would be extremely jarring. And a person like that would like, that's like a huge wake up call. I'm talking like, you know, people sin and then like they feel bad about it. And then they like, <laughs> maybe they try and improve. Maybe they don't. And they move on in life, right? But where is that coming from? Especially when, especially when it's not, it, it, it's not this, this sense of what has become of me, like at my core, like in that kind of case. But it's, it's like a sense of like, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. How come I keep doing that? It's like, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the thing that they did rather than the, the, the fundamental question of the life that I'm leading. Um, there's a verse that says, Yazev Rasha Darka, an evil person should abandon his way. And the idea is that real remorse and real regret and real truth is about changing your whole fundamental approach to life. So in that kind of case, yes, you're right. You could find yourself so far on the other side of something that it's a wake-up call about like the fundamentals. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the normal bad feeling that people have when they do the wrong thing. 
that's not coming, from, there's no regain sensitivity in that. So the Altar says quite clearly, um, as a rule later on in Tanya, that any negative feeling that comes regarding our service of Hashem, or lack thereof, that is not the result of a greater sensitivity to God, is coming from evil inclination. Exactly, because now once you're in a negative mood, you are more likely to be easy on yourself, indulge, give up, do all sorts, right? In other words, people get into, right? The enthusiasm to really work hard and grow in the service of Hashem does not happen when a person is feeling down. And... Um, when I was younger, one of, my, one of my mentors told me, he says that feeling that after you have, right after doing a Nevera, of feeling like guilt and remorse, like you're never gonna do it again, he says that entire thing from the beginning to the end, including the resolution that you'll never do it again, is all, it's called Atasa Yetzer, the scheme of the Yetzirah. Because that resolution is never going to be upheld, because it's not based on anything real. So that's just further reason to feel down about it. The, the change has to come, the change in, 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 in behavior comes from a change in awareness of Hashem. Now again, something can be that traumatizing, that jarring, that it forces you to examine things more fundamentally. That, that's true. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but if, if a person is not have any increased sensitivity to godliness than they did at the moment they were sinning, then you need to look for some external cause as to why they're feeling bad about it. Right? This is like the famous thing when, they, when you, they, they catch the criminal and the criminal says, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. And they say, well, you're sorry or you're caught. You weren't sorry that you did, for what you did. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like all of a sudden you had some deep sense of morality. When all, that, all that happened is now you're facing consequences you don't like. So, even in a, and we saw, and, and chapter 10 even says, that even in a certain sense, the tshuva of such a person is, 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 is really suspect because what led them to sin has not been addressed. And therefore, on some level, what they feel bad about is not the sin. What they feel bad about is something else. And that's being used by the evil inclination to get a person to be less driven. Now, I want to be very clear. This is not mean, this is parenthetical, but this is not mean, as some people like to say, that Hasidus teaches that you should never feel bad about what you did. That is absolutely 100% wrong. It's just that Hasidus says that one needs to be smart about feeling bad about what you did. The right kind of feeling bad, which is not the topic of our class. Okay? But though it is a topic is that whatever the right kind of feeling bad is, it has to result from a greater awareness of God, of our soul. And as a result of that heightened awareness, now in retrospect, we relate to what we've done differently. But if that change in our das, in our a sense of God has not come about, then any sort of negative feelings have nothing to do with the fact that we separate ourselves from God and it has to do with something else. And ultimately the root of that is to try and put us in a down state because we become less devoted to Torah and mitzvahs and more indulgent about our physical existence when we're in a down state, as is known from personal experience. See people on the couch with buckets of ice cream. You're familiar with that phenomenon, yes? Yes. Okay. Yesterday. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what people are talking about a bucket. I get a whole case, case of ice cream. Um, yes. Oh, um, you don't, just... Because I wasn't here, you don't have to obviously go into detail, but when 
Are we referring to Benoni sinning or like Russia? Benoni, Benoni never sins. Never. Okay, never so sins. Russia. Yeah, so Benoni never sins. And the, and, and the godly soul, just to recap really fast, where does that go for the Russia? It's subjugated. Okay, it's there. It's, hopefully. So when, when the, so now, if that's the case, then that negative feeling, right? That negative feeling, sometimes it'll come and sometimes it won't come. And when it comes, it has nothing to do with the, it, it has nothing to do with the actual negativity of being separate from God. It has to do with other circumstances, i.e. the animal soul wants to use this opportunity to get a person down. Because if it really had to do with being separate from God, every time you sinned, you would immediately be, would feel the wrongness of being separate from God. That's just not what happens. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes, because it's not coming from that sensitivity. It's coming from this external influence relative to the godly soul external. Yes? So I remember that when we were talking about the Russia and how the godly soul was like subjugated, especially when Russia was a sin. Mm-hmm. Sin cannot come from the godly soul. So mm-hmm. that after the sin, people are talking about how the godly soul comes back, and sometimes that can result in feeling remorse. So you're saying that this is only the case when the person is like actively creating an awareness of a sham, Correct. so that the godly soul can come Right, back. right, right, right. Right. That right. In other words, it has to be something that's proactive. Or again, there's the possibility of it being like fundamentally traumatic that you like reexamine your whole life. But barring that kind of thing, yes, it has to be proactive. The altar is very explicit about that. If it's now, so if you take that idea, now let's talk about let's talk about a, a, somebody who's loving Hashem. Well, if they're a Russia, what does that mean? That means they're in a state of mind that for them, throwing Hashem into the garbage because Hashem is inconvenient is perfectly up, up for discussion, right? That's what a Russia is somebody whose animal soul is subjugating their godly soul, which means at the end of the day, the place for Hashem in their life is secondary to other considerations, which means if, if the cost of being connected to Hashem is too high, Hashem will have to, you know, go sit in the corner and they're going to go do something else, right? Even up to the point of violating Hashem's explicit will and therefore doing a sin. That's the mindset a Russia is in. Could a person be in that mindset and feel genuine, passionate love for Hashem? So if it happens, because it could happen, what does that mean? If sin happens or if the love the, happens? The love happens. Like we were saying before, there, we're looking for an additional explanatory factor and probably the like test right. that is intervening. And right. There would have to be an explanatory factor. Here the explanatory factor would be an arousal from above. Hashem, a tzaddik, something, right? I, I, I don't mean to say Hashem and tzaddikim are two things. What I mean to say is that if you want to think about it generally, it's Hashem. If you want to get more into the specifics, the mechanism by which Hashem does it is through the souls of tzaddikim because the souls of tzaddikim function like the brains for the body. But, so it wasn't alternatives, it's general specific. But anyway, arouses the person. So they could, they could be feeling this very passionate love for Hashem. But just like, this, just like the Russia, the feelings of negativity that just they fall into unbeckoned have to be, can't be coming from, the, from their awareness of the wrongness of the sin because that's lacking. So you need an alternative explanation. 
a person who, whose, whose relationship with Hashem is that Hashem is secondary to all sorts of human and animalistic concerns doesn't have, this, doesn't have the ability to bring themselves to this kind of a state. So if they are in that kind of a state, there must be some outside influence. And therefore, just because they had it yesterday doesn't mean they can reproduce it today. Because if you're cheating on your test, just because you had the answer key for the first semester's test doesn't mean you automatically have the answer key for the second semester's test. I, I, I had a, um, a math teacher um, and uh, we had a, we had a in, I think it was, it was an algebra trigonometry class. And I had bought for myself one of these very fancy calculators back before there were scientific calculators, graphing calculators, scientific calculators. So I bought myself one of these. And I asked the teacher if I could use it on the test. And I had a good teacher. So what did the teacher tell me? No. That's not the teacher. Told me. It was a good teacher. teacher said, if you can show me how you derive all of the formulas and then program them into the calculator, you can use it. For the actual just calculations things, I'll, I'll let you use it. But you have to show me that you can derive the formulas. Isn't part of the work making it, like getting to the answers? No, that's the point. In, the, in other words, there's two parts of math. There's oh, the two parts of the math. The one part of the math is understanding the mathematics. The other part is just doing the calculations, right? So the teachers look at me like, I'm not, I'm like, if you, want, if you want to use the calculators to do that, to do the calculation part, that's fine. But I need to see that you can actually, do you understand the relationships, you know, of the different mathematical concepts to each other, you can therefore drive it. And so I said, well, can I use my lunch break to show you? And the teacher said, yes. And so I did. And so I said, okay, you can use it on the test and voila. It's a good teacher, A, because they're meeting the needs of the students, and B, they're not letting the students off the hook, and C, it took up some of the teacher's personal time, <laughs> right? Which is always the hard thing. But what was the teacher? The teacher's not concerned about whether, I, whether or the teacher's not concerned about whether the answer is going to be right or wrong. The teacher is concerned about whether getting the right answer is dem demonstrating my knowledge of the math, right? So if that can be ascertained, then like, it's fine. Like you, you want to use the calculator. On the other hand, if you have to use the calculator in order to get the right answer and you can't, you can't do it without the calculator, then when the calculator is taken away, what does that show? You'll, you'll fail, right? So, can a Russia experience feelings of love of Hashem that are coming from his godly soul? Absolutely. What can't he do? Create them on his own. He can't create them on his own. He cannot make sure that they come back tomorrow. In, in what situations will you feel? Yeah. What? In what situations will you feel his godly soul? Whenever Hashem decides... Feelings of love, specifically, we're talking about. It's just there. It's yeah, like Hashem. Yeah. Well, so first off, there's something. There's something. No, the the the, the, the pintle is a slightly different thing. The pintle is something that can. So there's some, So it could come out in a moment of self sacrifice. It could come out that Hashem is arousing the person towards Shuv. It could come in a lot of ways. 
but it's not something that they can do for themselves. The rock, can, the rock can't fly. It can be thrown, right? Now, I want to be clear. Does that mean in essence this person can't generate love? But it, it means so long as their animal soul is really the one dictating how they live their life, the godly soul does not have that kind of authority, that kind of agency to bring about love of Hashem in a consistent way. So the truth of the godly soul is being denied them. The godly soul has, this, the, godly soul has the ability to produce this love always. But the person who's a Russia, do they have access to that? It's being withheld from them. Why? Because they've allowed their animal soul to subjugate their godly soul. If they were to change that, then they would have access to their godly soul's ability to know Hashem in such a way to produce that love. Now, that means that this sense of Hashem is something that is very ingrained in the godly soul. The godly soul genuinely knows how to bring itself to an awareness of Hashem, which elicits passion. So that's, that's something that is, that's something that's, that's something that, 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 that's true of the godly soul. The godly soul has that kind of das. It has that kind of, of, of sense of Hashem. Now, the generating of the love requires you to do the act of contemplating. But the act of contemplating is just a means to actualize what you already have inside, which is an innate sense of the reality of God. And it's that which is generating the love. So what the Russia is lacking is, the God, is, any sense of the, is any sense of the godliness of their own soul. What the Bainini has is they have that sense, but the way they cash in on it, the way they, the way they utilize it is a process of doing whatever he says is you know, um, appropriate preparation, each soul according to its intrinsic quality and rank, to bring that to the forefront of consciousness and arouse these intense experiences. So I'm going to give you an example because this is very abstract. What is the difference on the level of the animal soul between sports and food? Animals? Yes, sports and food. One has some health benefits. The soul, the soul. Does your, the animal soul truly, let's take a sports fan. Does the animal soul truly love sports? No. No. Prove it. Because it could also love. Because no. only loves it when No. You never read a sports fan then. <laughs> sports fans, when their teams lose, demonstrate their love also. Uh. Right? And they, they destroy the city. <laughs> Either way, they destroy the city. Whatever. Does it need sports to survive? No. No. So things could happen that make him stop working. Close, let's reverse that. Absolute love. There are things that if they don't happen, they'll stop loving sports. If sports stops, they probably won't love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but, but the thing about it, you have a sports fan. If you have a sports fan, you have a sports fan, right? People live a long life. So you have to manage something. People live a long life. So you have a sports fan. Until the age 35, they were really into a certain sport. Then the sport, like, were, they just... They're not, the sport might still exist, but they don't have access to it. Okay, so obviously there's a sense of loss, right? Carve out the nostalgia element as a separate thing. I'm not talking about nostalgia, okay? Nostalgia has to do with how, 
how things that are very fundamental to us get associated with other things. I'm not talking about that. What were to happen if after 25 years they never they, they just they, they had no no exposure to football? Forget about it. Eventually, it'd be gone. It probably wouldn't even take 25 years. This is why, since has sports is a industry that makes money off of people, has to constantly try and bombard people and expose people and engage people in order to keep the person engaged. engaged. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Can you do that with food? No. Can you do that with companionship? What? Can you do what? Can you just like deprive a person of companionship and then just eventually like lose the sense no, of desire? Not the ones in need. What? Because certain things are innate Right? The animal soul has an innate kind of an attachment to certain things. Now, does that mean you're always feeling hungry? You're always feeling lonely? No, it always kicks in at some point. But forget the kicking in. Okay. So since it's always there, could you do things to bring it to the surface? Yes. Right. In other words, does the godly soul of every single Jew have an innate sense of the greatness and goodness of God? Can that be brought to the surface through contemplation? When it's brought to the surface, will that trigger the person to have feelings of passion for Hashem? Yes, but only a Benoni, huh? One second. Yes. Right? Now, why doesn't that happen for a Russia? Is it because there's something defective in the godly soul? No. No. What's the problem? Because the, pulp, the person's mindset is that they're devaluing, right? What is a rush? A person who just fundamentally is devaluing the godly soul, right? If you're in a state of mind of devaluing the godly soul, you cannot do everything we just said, right? But that's not a defect in the godly soul. That's a defect in your relation, the human being's relationship with the godly soul, right? Now, what's a bainani, though? A bainani is a person who prioritizes as a godly soul. Exact opposite, right? For a bainani, their top priority is always the godly soul. That doesn't mean that the animal soul has been totally defeated and subjugated, but because they prioritize the godly soul and fundamentally the godly soul is, has the upper hand, their life is lived based on the godly soul, right? So therefore, all they need to do is to bring to the surface that awareness of God and voila, they will feel the intense love. It's easier said than done. Because the Russia can't bring it to the surface because what's the Russia's relationship with the God? Don't think about a Russia as a person. Think about it as a state of a person. If a person is in a state where my way of living life is I devalue my godly soul, if my state of mind is I devalue my godly soul, can I then, in that state, ensure that my godly soul's innate awareness of Hashem rises to the level of emotionally impactful. Can I guarantee? Those are just incompatible things. You can't do that. Now, you could change. You could, like, stop being a Russian, which you have the free choice to do, right? Wait. Him contemplating God can't even happen? He can. Just more intellectually. He can. But what happens is when the Russia contemplates God, have you ever tried contemplating? Do you like sports? No. Great. Have you ever tried contemplating what, you know, sports fans see in sports? I look like I don't like sports. Yes, you do. <laughs> I, people, people are complex and sometimes people like, you know, or like things you, yeah, but have you ever tried contemplating what people see in sports? Yeah. Has it gotten you to like sports? No, but I can understand why they do. Right. So, so when the Russia, 
when the Russia contemplates God, what happens, it can understand why there are people who really love God. That's exactly what happens. I, I understand why people who to this seems very real to them would be really enthralled with God. Good for them. That's what happens to the Russia when they contemplate. Right, right. It's intellectually engaging. It's, you know, there's a little, maybe a little voyeuristic aspect. You're getting insight into other people's lives, right? Maybe you add a little bit of guilt. Why isn't this happening with me? But fundamentally, there's this wall, right? Because the person isn't, it, 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 they're not coming from the place of Hashem is a priority to me. And this is very important. The contemplation of Chassidus Chabad is not meant to make Hashem a priority for you, make your soul a priority for you. It's meant to work off of the premise you've already chosen it to be a priority for you. A person who really is choosing that my godly soul is going to be a priority in my life, and therefore, in, as part of that mode of living, I am going to contemplate God and how great He is, that will do something for the person. But a person who has the opposite attitude, right? Hashem, Hashem, my soul, they have place only when I find it convenient for me, then the best they'll get is they understand why other people are really into the, it. The Russia's love for Hashem to a person's love for sports and a Bainity's love for Hashem to a person's love for food and companionship. Right. A, a Bainity's love for Hashem is, has a quality of like the animal soul's love for food and companionship, which they don't necessarily feel intensely all the time, but any person can bring themselves to feel those things very intensely by paying attention to certain things. But certain things, is, but, 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 if a, but if a Russia loves Hashem, that's because of some external thing that has happened to the Russia. They're being enchanted by Hashem through the influence of a tzaddik, or they're being put in a place of self-sacrifice, or they've been traumatized into tshuva, or something like that. Really, like, but, but, but if you take out, it's not, it's not I'm going to sit down and I'm going to bring myself to have a, a, a clear sense of how important Hashem is to me such that I become enthralled with Him. That's just not, the, the Russia can't do that because the mindset the Russia is invalidates the whole thing to begin with. So they can go through the exercise of contemplation today until tomorrow. Whereas the Benini, he can the difference, is not, the difference is not in the godly soul. The difference is in the person's relationship with the godly soul. The godly soul has a truth. The truth of the godly soul is that Hashem is meaningful to me. That's the truth of the godly soul. And if that's the truth of the godly soul, then anytime the godly soul brings Hashem to mind fully and deeply, the godly soul will be aroused towards intense feelings towards Hashem. The reason why the Russia can't do that is because they're devaluing their godly soul. So, so what's the truth? The truth is not, oh, you have the ability, you have a technical ability to do it. The truth is, the, to the godly soul, or maybe the, the godly soul has a sense of Hashem in a way that is meaningful and true and impactful. But in order for that to actually alter the person's emotional state, that needs to be brought to the surface. And of course, they can bring it to the surface because it's, it's true for them. So the emotion, this is the king, the emotion as an emotional experience isn't true. But what the emotion is indicating is true. What is the emotion indicating? The fact that every day this person gets up and they contemplate and they bring themselves to passionate love for Hashem. What does that indicate? That Hashem is truly important to them. 
the Rasha can experience maybe even a more passionate, intense experience of, of devotion to Hashem, but, it, there's no, but, it, but it, there's nothing true in it because it's not, it's not that to them, their animal soul is subjugated. So if that's happening, there's some outside thing that's causing them to experience that. Which is why if they go and try and reclaim that experience the next day, it doesn't work. Has anyone ever had the experience of going to the Kaiso and being inspired? No? No. Some people have this well, experience. <laughs> what? You had the experience? Yes. Sometimes. What? Yes. Okay. Um, some people have the sense where they have that they like, they're going to keep coming back because that experience is amazing. Did you have that thought? Did you have that thought? Yeah. Does it work? Mm. Why not? What? When you come back, does it does it always have oh. the same effect? Mm. Why not? Because whatever had that effect isn't the wall. It's usually Hashem having compassion on a Jew and trying to arouse them and trying to like, you know. But if that if that's the case, then then it's not something you are in control. You can't repeat. You can't cause it to be repeated. By the way, this is very important because even what he says is about the truth for the Bainani. What's true about the Bainani is that the contemplation in a meaningful way, not the quality of the emotional experience. By the way, for instance, you could have the same. You could have a Bainani, right? They daven three days, one day after the other. So based on what we've said, it should all be consistent, right? The only thing that's going to be consistent is that when they contemplate, they have a, the, the contemplation brings them to, sense, a, them to a sense that Hashem is very, very real to them in a way that's emotionally impactful, and they react to that emotionally. Will the emotion, though, that they feel, the quality of that love and, 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 and devotion and enchantment, whatever, will that be the same from day one to day two to day three? No. Because the truth is this, the awareness of Hashem that's innate that they can bring to the surface. The emotion, the fact that it triggers emotion is just symptomatic of that. And so the Bainanis, the Bainanis, it's not just, if the Bainanis tries to like recreate the yesterday's emotional experience of love of Hashem, it's like the person running to the Koso and trying to like, you know, reclaim what they experienced the first time they were there. It doesn't work. But if he says, yesterday I was able to make Hashem meaningful to me because deep down he is meaningful to me. And so I, 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 I thought and pondered and reflected coming from that place. And that's what I'm going to repeat today and tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after. That's the truth of it. So the truth is in what underlies the emotion, which is the ability to contemplate in that kind of honest way, to put your heart into the contemplation because the godly soul is not subjugated. That's the truth. And in that, Hashem is resting. And in that fact, Hashem is present and infused in the person. And in that, the person is connected to Hashem. What's different by the tzaddik is that the tzaddik, Hashem, is present in the emotional experience itself, in the passion. The passion itself is a godly experience. And therefore, that passion, unless you do something to stop it, will last for the tzaddik. So, where is Hashem found in the life? First off, where is Hashem found in the godly soul? In the emotion or in the das, in the, in, 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 in the, in the awareness of Hashem? Where is Hashem found? In the das. Does every godly soul have that, that 
that connection through Das? Yes. In order for that, though, to be emotionally impactful, it has to be brought from a state of being hidden within the person's capacity into something concrete. How does that happen? Each soul has to you know, do it in a slightly different way, but it involves reflecting and pondering and contemplating in a, in a genuine way. If you as a human being, your relationship with your godly soul is that your godly soul is free to live its life unrestricted by the animal soul, the result of that will be is that you'll be able to bring yourself to that kind of conscious awareness of Hashem that will trigger powerful emotions. On the other hand, if your relationship with your godly soul is your godly soul is of secondary concern, you cannot do that. You can't bring that. It could, you could feel intense emotions towards Hashem, but they will be, they'll be under the influence of some other thing, right? Some tzaddik as, as the conduit from Hashem to rouse you to tshuva or something like that. Something very strange is happening with the tzaddik that Hashem is resting in the emotional experience itself. Which is why, as we learn in chapter 14, the love that a tzaddik experiences it also comes from Hashem. It's something, it's, in other words, that the tzaddik is being given access to a deeper, a different kind of emotional experience. Not an emotional experience that's just being produced through being aware of Hashem. And that, that kind of emotional experience is everlasting because it's a godly experience. So, again, if we're going to focus on just the soul itself, just the godly soul, where is the truth of the godly soul? In its love of Hashem or in its knowledge of Hashem? That's where Hashem resides in the knowledge, right? Specifically, the das, right? And when a person contemplates, that das becomes, goes from being in a hidden state to being fully manifest. What is the result of having a, a real awareness of something? Is that it affects us emotionally. So the emotions are the result of the truth, right? They're a symptom of the truth. They're not the truth itself. The truth is the fact that this is very real to the soul and therefore I can bring it to the forefront of my consciousness by reflecting on it, by pondering on it. However, what if I as a human being treat my, animal, treat my godly soul as something of secondary concern? Can I bring that das to the surface? No. And therefore, if I, can I ensure that I'll experience love from day to day? A tzaddik is experiencing something else entirely, something that is not innate to the soul. Right? Uh, where it's a love where Hashem is, Hashem is manifest in the actual emotional experience. The emotional experience is itself something permeated with godliness and therefore if that person ever tastes that kind of a, of a, of a, of a sense of being, unless they do something to stop it, it will persist forever. So Russia davening is kind of purposeless? Correct. Correct. No, no, we're talking about this kind of davening. Do we have, there's a book called The Tract on Prayer. Do we have it here? Do you know where it would be? Because I'd rather not do it off of memory. Oh, I see it. No, that's not, that's the really tract of. It's one of those. So this is written by the fifth Chabad Rebbe, and it is a guide on how to do the kind of prayer that we're talking about. 
Okay? But it's not applicable to us. Why not? Because it's Well, let, let, let me read a bit. If you want to study this book, I recommend starting from chapter 11. Go to the end and then start back at the beginning. Why not? Because 11 is where he gets practical. Everything, everything before 11 is very subtle. Okay. That's, that's where he starts with the five, the five steps, yeah. I'm not going to read everything because you know. Where is the Okay, he's he's describing why a person is unsuccessful in all in prayer and chassidus and all this stuff and he says that when the person later on in life comes to Chassidus, his motivation is study of Chassidus, and the, the idea is that Chassidus is the preparation for prayer and all this stuff, was not that he was aroused by deep heartfelt tshuva, but rather that he perceives the goodness of Chassidus. In other words, he finds Chassidus enjoyable. How much more so is the value of his interest in Chassidus diminished for some reason led him to the study of Chassidus in the first place? So what happens? You have a person, they find these ideas interesting, right? And because they find them interesting, they get more involved, right? But this was not motivated out of a heartfelt desire to do tshuva. Therefore, though the person is drawn by chassidus and yearns to hear the concepts and review them, nevertheless, inasmuch as he has the experience, the arousal of tshuva, therefore, in, in the essence of his nature, he's not genuinely distressed because obviously we are... When a person is distressed, they seek for solutions. They seek strength. If a person feels that I'm far from God, I need to get closer to God, so then, then, then things can get moving. But a person feels that they're okay with themselves, as he goes on to say. In consequence, in view of his wholeness, the Hasidic expositions he hears cannot be inter- integrated inwardly in the depths of his mind and heart. It is merely temporal. It is comparable to a person who sees something or hears something that is irrelevant for him. Neither becomes one with him nor unified with him. That's exactly what it says. So a person's like, yeah, I have my life. It's nice. Oh, this is nice. God is nice. Like that's a, it's a, it's interesting. It's 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 enjoyable. It's fascinating. I want to engage in a little bit of that. Missing Then it's not going to work, because what makes the contemplation work is that you're contemplating something that is deeply relevant to you because without it, you're in a deep state of distress. Right, so tshuva precedes the entrepreneur tshuva precedes this. Does he have a book on that? There is a section three of Tanya called the Latin tshuva, which is all about. Yeah. So, so that's like for the Russia. 
right. kind of proper prayer for the Russia or contemplation. Right, so, right. So, so, so in fact, Chassidus explains that that's why in the nighttime Shema, a person is supposed to try to bring themselves to some degree of tshuva, so that by the morning they're in a state capable for prayer. Yeah. Now, again, I'm not giving practical advice, but, but each person on their level, you know, if, if a person's attitude is... If you put it in a human relationship, it makes a lot of sense, okay? So let's say you have a, you have a, a friendship where your attitude is that this is a friendship of convenience. You know those kinds of friendships? You know friendships of convenience? Right? Of okay. If you don't have anything else to do, they're a fun person to hang out with. Right. Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. So, so you're hanging out with this person and you say, you know what? I really think that we should make this like a, like a, like a deeper relationship. We should like really like work on having a deep relationship. And the person, let's say, they're a little bit blunt and they say, okay, so does that mean that this relationship takes priority over X, Y, or Z? You say, well, no, not to that degree. Like the whole thing is a joke, right? Like, like if that's if so, if if if, if a person's gonna, I'm gonna start contemplating Hashem and how He fills the world and surrounds the world and nothing, nothing before Him, everything is insignificant. But as a side project, when I have nothing better to do with my time, right? As something to like add a little spice to my life, right? As something to like make give my Judaism a little more well roundedness, so it's not just like dry halach, whatever it is, yeah. Well, should I be surprised that that sense that Hashem is real that arouses passionate emotion just doesn't come out consistently? I shouldn't be surprised at all, right? Not that the soul is lacking that truth, but the person is lacking that truth. They're not connected to that truth. On the other hand, the Baini is a person who's made the decision to prioritize their godly soul and willing to work on whatever it takes. And when a person is coming from that place, and again, they have to know themselves what kinds of preparation work for them to bring that to the forefront, they will produce a powerful, real emotion that will put their God, animal soul to sleep for the time being. It won't last forever. But the fact they can do that is an indication they are in touch with a truth about themselves and a truth that fundamentally matters to them. That's not the truth of the tzaddik. The truth of the tzaddik is something that totally transformed his whole character as a person, his whole being. And we haven't talked about what it is that the tzaddik is getting that the Bainan is not getting. But there's a truth there. The truth is not in the contemplation. The truth is not in the emotional experience. The truth is that the contemplation will work. Because that means that the, the godly soul has a genuine connection to Hashem and the person has a genuine connection to their godly soul. Some, and that's that second thing that the Russia is lacking. And that's the thing he says here in the Tractive Prayer. If a person doesn't address that, then yeah, they shouldn't be surprised that this stuff doesn't work so well. Could I give them what it could do is it could bring them to a point where one of the things that can help a person change is where a person realizes the dichotomy of their life there's a we're coming every, you know every character in the in, in, in the Tanakh represents like a certain spiritual level right like Avram represents Chesed and Yitzchak represents Gavur. You've heard this idea, right? Yes. Okay, who's Vashti? She's a pimply tail. But what does she represent spiritually? I don't know. Temptation? 
That you can have two things. You can have two things. Vashti is vav, which means and, shte, two. Vashti is the aspect of our animal soul that tries to get us to believe we can have our cake and eat it too. The aspect um, that makes us rationalize away the inconsistency in how we're living our life. How does she do that? In the story, I don't know. I just know that that's what it says. Like, there's always a question, like, how do you... Like, like Avram is chesed, but if you go read the stories in the Chumash, like, it's not so belatedly obvious that Avram is chesed, right? Okay. There's always a question, like, how do you see these things? But, so one of the things that can happen is that, and this you see, this is what Eliyahu told the Jewish people. The Jewish people were worshipping Hashem. They were worshipping the Baal idols. And and what does Eliyahu say? He says, like, you know, what's this both sides of the fence? You know, either either worship Hashem or worship Baal. You know. So there's an idea that when a person really like invests themselves in trying to connect to something godly in a true way and it's not working, that consistent not working starts to like put in their face, like either either be serious about it or admit that that you're not. But like you can't keep lying to yourself about it over and over and over again. It's it's, it's like you know in, in in life like let's say somebody somebody's bad at business. Like if you're bad at business, what happens is every time you open a business venture, it falls apart, right? Eventually, the 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 more that happens, the harder it is to keep maintaining the illusion that you're good in business, right? If you keep trying to do this and it keep doesn't, keeps not working, it keeps not working, it keeps not working, eventually you're going to have to face the fact, maybe I am, I'm really distant from Hashem. And do I really, am I really okay with that distance? Am I really just going to say, okay, yep, I'm distant from Hashem. I just live my life as an animalistic person within some more or less vague boundaries of halacha. Is that really what I'm going to do the rest of my life? And if I'm not going to do that, then I guess I really have to change. So it can be effective in that kind of roundabout way. But in terms of like the actually attaining this experience, yeah, it's not, you know, it's, there's, there's, the Mishnah says, according to the pain is the gain, right? If something sounds profound and deep and meaningful, then it's going to require the associated amount of effort and work. And, yeah. and so the truth of the Bainani's love is that it's manifesting the truth of his connection to his soul and the soul's sensitivity to Hashem. And he can, he can tap into that by using the appropriate techniques that work for him. But if sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, then that means it's really not about his relationship with his soul. It's about some other outside influence arousing him towards, you know, the things, which is, you know, it's not bad, but it's not him. So what's, it, what, what's the nominee of Russia supposed to accomplish? Nothing. Right. So... <laughs> He's supposed to do tshuva. You're not supposed to be a Russia. Like, one of the things that comes up from learning Chassidus is that Chassidus, like, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's an illusion that Chassidus is trying to make everything make sense. Chassidus is trying to make serving Hashem make sense. So if Chassidus is effective, your end result is that you think about Russia and says, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, the Russia. The Russia just seems like a person built off of contradictions and inconsistencies and self-delusion. There's not like an actual like program of living as a Russia. And then Chassidus says, good job, you figured it out. Like you're not supposed to be a Russia. <laughs> it's like, like that, that's the point. 
Inasmuch as Chassidus explains what's going on in Russia is only so you can see the ridiculousness and, and inconsistency and illogic and self-delusion of it. Not so that, oh, now I understand like how Russia works. There is no service of Hashem of a Russia. If you put it into human relationships, it's very, very obvious, right? Think about a human relationship, again, where your whole relationship with the other person is a matter of convenience, right? Like, there's something fundamentally flawed in that whole relationship. Like, like a person is not an object to be used, right? So if you're relating to them, if you have a relationship of convenience with a person, like, it's a self-contradiction, right? So obviously you can't, like, have a more deep, meaningful relationship that way. You have to realize that that's wrong. I, I, look, it's much easier to say these things than to do them, but... <laughs> so but just, we have to come in now. That's kind of that, the altar of this point. But isn't that also the point of, like, when we say, well, what's the point of dominating as Russia? Well, like, the point of dominating as Russia is to try and get yourself to be a baby, right? But if that's really what you're trying to do, well, then... Well, trying to be close to Hashem. But if you're really trying to do that, then isn't the step that you took before you started davening? Like, if, 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 if you're really genuinely trying to get closer to Hashem, then in that shift in mindset, are you really still a rush at that point? Not asking you what's going to happen long term, but at that point, at that moment. If you're saying that you shift between states, like... Yes, people shift between states. That's very important to know. But, but like in, in even like a moment, like the moment before you're dominating, you can elevate yourself to a bainani and then like have a revelation and then later in the day, like, oh, my revelation is last, so I'm not like an actual lasting bainani. 100%. 100%. Right, in other words, in other words, if a person is going to approach davening from a place of I really need to connect to Hashem. This is not, it's not okay for me to live a life of a, with a God of convenience. And that's where they're coming from in an authentic way. Does that mean that they will transform their whole mindset in a lasting way? Not necessarily. But now something's going to be effective. But a person's attitude is like, I've carved out a little space for my prayer, but the prayer can't be too real because, you know, God forbid, I actually might make genuine changes in my life. Right? Which people do. It's like, you know, the person, like, they, they come to the rabbi's class and, like, you know, rabbi, like, just don't, don't get too real because if you get too real, it might, like, I might actually think about actually changing what I'm doing and I don't want to do that. There's also something, like, weird about the baby. He's still, at the end of the day, psyching himself out to, like... It's not. If the more you think about yours, it's not psyching himself out. He's, that, that's what comes out of this. He's not psyching himself up. He's getting in touch with something deeper in himself that requires attentiveness. But he's not psyching himself up. But he's not like conversing, not like casually. Like it almost feels like a tzaddik has a, a casual, like That's true. Always their relationship. That is, it, it is, it has a casual. This is not casual, but it is not artificial because what's happening is they're getting in touch with something. But that's exactly what I'm saying. The fact that Hashem can be that real to the Baini that brings them to an intense emotional state is because of how they relate to that fundamental fact that they have a soul and the soul is real and the soul is connected to Hashem. So what are they doing? They're getting in touch with something. There are some things in life. Just think of this. People have like really important goals in life, things that really matter to them. They still need to be attentive to those things. Otherwise, what happens is like days go by and like they just drift away from them, right? Is that artificial? Right? There's a difference between creating something out of whole cloth and being attentive. So, yes, the love is being created, 
But the sense that Hashem is real is something that you're drawing out and making more, making more vivid through the attentiveness. And that's ultimately the contemplation, which is why I think I said earlier, the contemplation doesn't matter about how much you understand, it's about how much you're engaged. Okay. Now, we still have to understand, because he still said that these truths are not on the same level, right? We still have to understand like, how those truths are not on the same level, but that we'll deal with um, tomorrow, Bez Hashem, assuming the weather doesn't like totally go crazy. I can't get here. Yeah. Two questions. Are, so we're consistent, Rishon, to be safe, but no, we we're sometimes not. oscillate. We're not. We're not consistent, Rishon. No, no, no. Like our default is Rishon, but yes. sometimes we move up to Benoni levels. Maybe. Yes. Luck. No. If we, no, it's never luck. Benoni is never luck. Well, I don't... is up to you. Luck, this but... Real, but that's real. That's like critical. Okay. It's up to you. There are things that do depend on Hashem and above and assistance. That's chapter 14. This, that if you're a Russia at the end of the day, that's your responsibility. 